This audio is from South Fellowship Church. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit southfellowship.org. Let's pray. Father, as we, we come to your scriptures, uh, we pray that you would allow us to see Jesus, please. God, that you would, through your spirit, stir in us, give us, give us eyes to see, give us hearts to know your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Lord, where we need to be comforted and encouraged, would you encourage us? Where we need to be convicted, would you convict us? And in the end, may it all lead us to Jesus, please. It's in your name that we pray, amen. Have you ever asked God the question or had the thought in your mind, it wasn't supposed to go like that? And maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a person of faith and so maybe your internal dialogue is a little bit more or less sort of about God and more just about you and, and just the thought in your mind is, I just didn't think things were gonna play out that way. I didn't think it was gonna happen that way and if I had to draw it all up on my own, that's not the way that it should have gone. For people of faith, I think the question is, is a little bit even harder because we have these sort of presuppositions about what God is like. And we're convinced that God is good and we're convinced that God is powerful. And so we have this equation in our mind. God good, God powerful equals great things for my life. The reality is though, is that oftentimes we live lives and we ask this question and sometimes it even haunts us, God, where are you in this? And God, it wasn't supposed to turn out like that. I can remember um, last uh, Christmas, uh, our family got together one of the first times after my mom had passed away and then the, all the brothers and sisters, my, my brother was there, my sister was there, all of our families were there and we had this cabin and as we were driving up to the cabin, my daughter, a three-year-old daughter in the backseat starts to look a little bit off um, and we said, Avery, Avery, are you okay? And she went, no. Um, and uh, proceeded to vomit the entire rest of the time on our way up to the cabin. So we, we call my brother and sister and say, hey, just want to let you know, um, you're walking into the danger zone, okay? Um, and they said, well, we're just going to brave it. We're going to come anyway. And as we're up there over the course of the next few days, every person in our family systematically starts to get the stomach flu, and it's that type of thing where, you know, you feel it coming on and you're like, no, nah, I think it's just, um, I just feel a little bit off. You know, I tell myself these lies and then five minutes later, I'm like, I'm out, right? I'm done. Uh, uh, yeah, evac, evac. And I have this question for God, you know, like I had all these like hopes and dreams for that time. And, and my question back to God is, where are you in that God? And it wasn't supposed to turn out that way. When um, my family and I accepted the call to come here to South, I had this picture in my mind of what life was going to look like here. And six, <laughs> I'm not talking about you though. Um, <laughs> that was surprising too, but no. Um, six, six weeks after we pulled into town, my mom started to wrestle with an illness that, that eventually took her life. And so this picture of what I thought life was going to be like, it just wasn't and isn't. And there's this question in the back of my head, God, it wasn't supposed to turn out that way. Where are you in that? 
And my guess is, is that for every single person sitting in this room this morning, you have a similar question. You have a similar thing to ask God. God, I thought life was gonna go like that and it just didn't. It's part of the human experience that sometimes, 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 God doesn't take the plan we give him and execute it to perfection. And maybe, maybe that's just me. But my experience as I've walked with God more and more is, you know, Ryan, he says to me, that's a great plan, and I got something totally different. And part of the journey of walking with Jesus is learning how to hold in tension this reality, God, that didn't turn out the way that I hoped it would, and I still believe that you are good and that you are God. And you see, the, the big idea that I want to wrap our hearts and our minds around this morning is, is this, is that, that because God loves us, because he loves us, because he loves us, he's far more interested in our formation than he is in our comfort. Because he loves us, he's far more interested in our formation than he is in our comfort. Now, if you're um, the type of person that likes to follow along in the notes, you opened them up and went, that's not what I have, Ryan. Okay, so I see you out there. It's not what your neighbor has either. Um, <laughs> up until Friday night, it's not what I had either. Um, so here's a little bit of the backstory. I was planning on summarizing the section we're gonna jump into in about one minute of a message that I was going to give. And as I started to study, um, well, as I was starting to put the finishing touches on Friday night, um, I just sensed the Lord prompted me that I really needed to camp out here more. Um, so uh, that's what I'm going to do. I hope that's all right. You type A people. I'm going to do that next week, so I'm sure I'll see you, okay, because that's going to haunt you. Um, but we're going to do that next week. But what I want to do is spend some time pressing into the reality that you see on the screens and that we often experience and walk through in life is that God is far more interested in our formation than he is in our comfort. Who we're becoming rather than what we're doing. We might say it like that. That he is ruthlessly, passionately for you and I being shaped into the image and likeness of Jesus. And he's willing to go to great, sometimes painful extents in order to make that a reality in your life and mine. And much of the wrestling around that question, God, where are you in this, in, in the fill-in-the-blank moments of life that we all have, I think sometimes God says back to us, I, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily plan, I, did, I didn't, I'm allowing you to walk through that, I didn't cause it, but you're going to see in the end, I'm going to use it for my name and for my glory and ultimately for your joy. I was captured by this statement by Michelangelo when somebody asked him, how do you do what you do? How do you, how do you take a marble block and turn it into something beautiful, something breathtaking? And here's what he says. Listen to this. He says, I saw the angel in the marble and I carved it until I set it free. I wonder, I wonder if God looks at you and I in a similar way. 
I wonder if he looks at you and I and what we often push back against and what we often sort of hold our arms and hold off as long as we can are the things that he's using to chisel away. See, here's what I know about our God. He is extremely resourceful, extremely resourceful. And he's willing to use the things in our life, sometimes the things that we wouldn't choose, the things that we wouldn't hope for, and the things that if we could hit rewind and try to do all over again, he's willing to use those things in our life, in your life and mine, to shape us and to form us into the image of Jesus. He's that powerful and he's that good. Acts chapter 9 if you have a Bible, will you turn there with me? Acts chapter 9, and if you were here last week, we uh, looked at the most famous conversion in the history of the church, arguably. We saw Saul, this persecutor of Christians, turn into this preacher of Christ. Uh, we saw this Pharisee go to this humble man. And at the end of last week, we saw that he was baptized. He, in verse 18, it says that he was baptized and then he took in food and he was strengthened. And we're gonna pick up the story there. He met Jesus, remember, on the road to Damascus. It's about a 150-mile trek. He's close to the end. His testimony is probably similar to yours. He saw a bright light in the sky, got knocked off his donkey, heard the audible voice of God, converted to Christianity, and then became a missionary to the ends of the earth. I'm sure you can read late. And here's what starts to happen next. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the Son of God. Now, that's transformation, friends. That's, he goes from saying, you guys are crazy, and I'm going to kill you because of it, to he's the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now, um, wish I could spend a whole week on verse 22. Um, we're going to be in Acts till Jesus comes back anyway, though, so I figure um, I I've got to make up some ground somewhere, but that's beautiful. He proved from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Read MacGyver, okay? And when he come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went out, in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So, Paul converts. And Paul starts to preach. And immediately, Paul starts to get beat up. I mean, 
That's not the altar call you often hear, is it? I mean, come forward, trust Jesus, preach the gospel. We might hear that. And then, oh, you enter into this furnace of God's chiseling to shape and to form you into the people he longs for you to become. And the painful things in life that come your way, he's gonna use, use those. The joyful things that come your way, he's gonna use those. And immediately, here's what Paul starts to see. Saul starts to see. Saul starts to see, I belong nowhere. I, I'm denied by the Pharisees for sure. In fact, they wanna kill me. The Jews, they won't accept me. I'm no longer one of them. And the followers of Jesus, they are scared of me. And in these 10 verses, here's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see the way that God shapes and forms a man that he will use maybe more prominently than any other in the course of history for his name and for his glory. And so the reason I wanted to to spend a week and camp out here is because I'm praying that God would use us for the same thing. I'm praying that he would use lives in this room, that he would use this body for his name and his glory. And I think there's some things we just need to come to terms with and we need to see in this passage if we're gonna be that kind of person. And here's the first thing I wanna point out is that God often doesn't lead us to the calmest waters. You may have noticed that. You may have noticed that life isn't always well, the way that we hoped it would be or expected it to be, and that sometimes there's opposition. If you're a follower of Jesus, you may be in a family where where it's hard to follow the way of Christ because of those you're surrounded with. You know this adversity, this opposition well. But for every single person in this room, we're gonna deal with times in life. We're gonna interact with life in such a way that not everything is just great all the time. Any amens? Amen. All right, where we look back to God and go, God, I don't see you in this. And what we see in the life of the apostle Paul is that God uses adversity to bring about clarity. That immediately upon becoming a follower of Jesus, he starts to get pushed back. And I would submit to you that it's that very pushback that shapes and forms him into the man of God that he eventually uses, God does, to change the course of history. And see, here's the problem, is that everything in us as people wants to say, God, I don't want to go there. But sometimes the things I want least are the things that God uses most. All right, here's the thing. I want you to to say that with me, and it's going to hurt coming off your tongue, okay? But I just want you to say, sometimes the things I want least, God uses most. Ready, get set, go. Sometimes the things that I want least, God uses most. Um, See, James would say the same thing. This is James chapter one, verses two through four out of the message translation. It reads like this, paraphrase, it reads like this. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. Okay, um, anybody wanna lie and say they're there? Okay, me neither, me neither. This is, we're, we're on a journey, um, but, but this is part of the destination that when trials come, we say back to God, it's a gift, help me receive it in that way. You know that under pr- that pressure, your faith life is forced into the open, 
and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. So, so, so sometimes the things you want least are the things God uses most. Paul, on his way, career-wise, he's looking good. Power-wise, he's looking good. Politically, he is in the driver's seat. And in a moment after meeting Jesus, everything changes, and the rest of his life will be defined by the word adversity. Hey, if he doesn't say yes to Jesus on that road, that's not the path he walks. But maybe, just maybe, God's more interested in his formation than he is in his comfort. And so from the very get-go, this is not an easy journey for Saul. May I submit to you, it may not be an easy journey for you either. But see, this pushes back against everything that we long for. I I I was reading a, um, a book, it's a sociologist's take on why some of the trends we're seeing with kids coming up today are are happening. And he starts to give a few tips of what parents can do in order to shape and to form and to mold their kids so that they'll be um, productive adults someday. Um, And one of the things he suggests is this. Allow your kids to fail. Allow them to fail. Most parents, it's like, what? They're my babies. I don't want them to have any sort of pain or any sort of hardship, and I'm going to protect them from that, and I'm going to roll them around in a bubble as long as I can so that they don't have to experience. And here's what he says. He says, one of the best things you can do for your kids is to create safe places for them to fail. Why? Because one of God's greatest tools in his tool belt that he uses on people like you and me and your kids is adversity. John Orberg, in a great article that he wrote for Leadership Journal a while back, he says this, if you could wave a wand, if you could erase every failure, setback, suffering, and pain, are you sure it would be a good idea? Would it cause your child to grow up to be better, stronger, more generous? Is it possible? Is it possible that in some way people actually need adversity, setbacks, and maybe even something like trauma to reach the fullest level of development and growth? Is it possible that the things I want least, God may use most? See, it was true in the life of the Apostle Paul. From the get-go, from every side, he's pressed in. Not destroyed, but he's, he's pressed every side. And I started to think, what is it about Paul's life that allows him to stand under the reality of this adversity that he lived with almost every day? Let me, let me, just, let me just give you a few one, here's what he did. Here's what, here's what Saul did. Paul did. He refused to let the demons of his past control his present. So the first thing that starts to happen to many of us when adversity comes is we start to have this internal dialogue with ourselves that, well, God, since this is happening, I must be being punished for something. 
What is it? And and we start to go back to the past and we start to live in the past and the guilt and the shame that we sung about that it was gone, paid for on the cross by Jesus, starts to become a backpack that we wear. And Paul's going, "I'm, I'm I'm not going there. He continues to preach the gospel to those around him and every time he preaches it to those around him, you better believe he hears it for himself. Okay, so, so just a moment of disclosure. The reason I camp out on the gospel every week is as much for you as it is for me. I need to remember it. So Paul's going, I'm under, God, I'm under your grace and your mercy. So whatever's coming at me is coming at me through the lens of your glorious cross. And as painful as it is, he continues to surround himself with God's people. The other thing that I love about Saul, about Paul, is not only did he live in such a way where he said, all right, my past isn't gonna control me. My fears aren't gonna control me. The things that I see on the horizon, those aren't gonna control me. But he also wasn't dumb, right? I mean, he pulled the MacGyver out of the window trick, right? The creative diversion over there, hook up the pulley, lower me down. So here's what Paul, Saul did. He lives in this tension of, God, I will not be controlled by fear and I will not be controlled by adversity and I will not be controlled by failure, but I'm also not gonna be stupid. I know when to run. And I can give you a clean equation of how to live that out other than to say the tension is good. Tension is good. That sometimes God calls us to live in our fears and sometimes he says, all right, the better part of wisdom is to run. But adversity starts to work in Paul in such a way that he is a different person. Look at verse 23 with me. It says this, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, oftentimes in scripture, you'll read a line like that and it seems insignificant, but there's this huge canyon full of information and weight beneath a few words. And actually, actually, if you were to go back and read in the scriptures in Galatians chapter one, verses 15 to 18, in Galatians chapter two, verse one, what you see in the many days that had passed is actually three years. Three years. And when it says that that Saul goes and travels back to Jerusalem and then he goes back to Syria and Cecilia, he's there for 14 years. Now, if it's me, I'm Paul and I'm going back to what God said. God, you said I was a chosen instrument. God, you said you were gonna do great things in my life and through my life. God, I thought we were going big time with this whole gospel thing. And now 17 years in obscurity. 17 years doing maybe like one-on-one discipleship, but, but, but not really living up to the billing of he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles kings and children of Israel. And isn't it true that sometimes in life, God's 
timetable seems to be a little bit different than ours. It appears, at least from the scriptures, that God seems to value time spent in preparation maybe more than we do. And you see, here's what God does. He's far more interested in Saul's formation than he is in his comfort. And so he forces him to spend time preparing and laying a foundation upon which God would build gospel communities, churches, revolution throughout the whole world. But he spends 17 years getting Paul ready for what he ultimately had for him. Listen, we live in a fast food microwave culture. And can I just tell you, spiritual formation doesn't happen that way. It doesn't. You're not gonna be able to just plug something in and, and go at it for a few weeks and then you're gonna be the person of God that he intended and dreamed and designed you to become. It's a, as Eugene Peterson said, a long obedience in the same direction. And before God uses Paul for something, he makes him someone. And can I just speak over you this morning? That some of us are in this, you're in a pattern of waiting. And can I just say, just maybe, that God's doing something in you before he does something through you. God's making you into someone that can handle what he's going to bring. But that white space in life, that space where we just feel like we're in a holding pattern can be so difficult, can it? I mean, I wonder how many times Paul went back to these words of Jesus himself and thought, is that gonna happen already? Is that gonna happen like any time in my life, God? Maybe. Maybe he felt like Moses felt, who gets a calling and a commission from God and then spends 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. Maybe he felt like David felt, who's anointed king of Israel and then goes right back to shoveling sheep dung in the pasture, makes a little bit of a jump, gets into the palace, but then gets kicked out and spends a decade on the run. You add it up, it's at least 15 years Maybe he felt a little bit like Joseph, who God through a dream says to him, you're gonna be the leader of the nations and he spends 20 years in prison. Are you kidding me? Jesus himself. 30 years before he actually steps into public ministry. Is it possible, let me just throw it out there, is it possible that God felt, values preparation far more than we do? Is it possible that maybe the timelines that we have in our life haven't worked out the way that we drew them up because God says, if I gave you that, then it would crush you. And I love you way too much to do that. 
Can I encourage you, if you're in a season of waiting, don't let it pass you by as being unproductive. All of us will wait in our lives at some point. The question is, will we wait in such a way that produces fruit in our life, or will we wait in such a way that simply passes the time? I want better for you, okay, than to just say, I got through it. I want us to get through it in such a way where we go, at the end of it, I'm different, God. You, did, you stirred something in me, and I'm different. I love the way that Billy Graham put it when he said, <laughs> sorry, not time for that illustration today, when he said, if I had to do it all over again, this is Billy Graham, I'd spend more time in spiritual nurture, seeking to grow closer to God so I could become more like Christ. He says, in the end, I'd spend more time in prayer. And that's him looking back on what we would say is some some pretty fruitful ministry, yeah? He goes, here's what I wish I would have done more of. I wish I would have done more in preparing and cultivating my heart before God. And you see, as followers of Jesus, one of the things that we will hold in balance and tension our entire life, it's a tension that should not go away, is between persistence and patience. I talked about this a little bit at our young adult ministry on Wednesday night, but that God is going to invite us into seasons in life where it feels like we're just pounding on the door every day. And he's calling us to balance and to hold in tension, patience and persistence. Friends, we can't lose hold of either of those. They're what stirs in us and what makes seasons of waiting productive. But I pray that we might become the type of people who see the things we go through in life differently, that we might be faithful in the day-to-day, in those sort of, in the seasons of life where it just feels normal, that we might be faithful in the day-to-day, and that we might continue to trust the goodness of God. The last thing that that we see in, there's a lot that we see, but the last thing I want to draw out that we see in the Apostle Paul's life is that God used suffering for some significant things. I mean, listen to what it says here. As Paul looks back on his life, this is the second letter we have that he wrote to the church at Corinth. This is what he records. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Just a quick timeout. Most people are gonna argue that this is um, at some time period that we're talking about today. Because that, that's when it, the most of his conflict with the Jewish people happened. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. Okay, just a quick timeout. At what point do you say I'm not traveling by boat anymore? I mean, at what point do you go, I'll walk. I know, I am well aware it's a long walk, but you don't know my track record, man. But three times on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and exposure. I get the impression that you never wanted to ask the Apostle Paul, how's it going? (laughs) 
But through it all and from the very beginning, what you see is God using this in his life um, to stir in him, to evoke in him, to strip away these idols that he had set up so that only Jesus remained. And so you see in his life, because God is far more interested in this formation than his comfort, he uses the suffering that comes in to really focus down his devotion. You see, we can sing a song where we say, all I have is Christ. And we can sing a song that says he's sufficient for me. But in some ways, in some ways, isn't that theoretical until he's all we have? And so Paul goes, I'm on the other side of that. Um, Shipwrecked three times. Beaten. In danger most of my life. Hungry. And I'll declare to you that knowing him is better than it all. So Dr. John Piper, he writes, the faith Filled suffering is essential in this world for the most intense, authentic worship. There's times where God's going to lead us into stretches of life, where things come at us that we wouldn't choose, that we wouldn't hope for, and that we wouldn't design on our own. But he says, I'm with you in it. And if you'll allow me to do my work, if you'll allow me like the sculptor walks up to the rock, if you'll allow me to take that chisel and to form and to shape, even through adversity and even through times where you don't know what I'm doing and even through suffering, if you'll allow me like the great potter to wrap his hands around that lump of clay and to shape it and to form it. If you'll allow me, I will stir in you and make in you something that you could never have dreamed on your own. I think Saul might have had like an idea of what he wanted to do for God. And can I guarantee you, it was way smaller than what God used his life for. And without this this furnace of formation, that God enters him into these 17 years. Saul never becomes Paul. You see, Saul is this like big Jewish Pharisee type of name. I mean, Saul is a, I was born the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Circumcised on the eighth day, zealous for the law. Then he becomes Paul. Quite literally means small. And this small man who God shapes and forms in the furnace, he uses to change the course of history. Is it possible, friends, that maybe, just maybe, God's far more interested in our formation than he is in our comfort for our joy and for his glory? And hey, if our Lord and Savior didn't avoid adversity 
and didn't avoid pain and didn't avoid suffering as his people, why should we think our lot would be any different? But here's what we can know. Because of the table that we're going to celebrate in a moment, here's what God has definitively said. You're not walking through what you're walking through because I don't love you. You're walking through what you're walking through because I do. And I'm for you. And I'll never forsake you. And we enter in with Jesus on the night that he's betrayed. uh, He not only breaks bread and he not only takes the cup and he not only institutes the new covenant, but he also, with drops of blood, prays in the garden. God, if there's another way, you do it that way, please. And he enters in with us to the seasons of life where we sometimes say back to God, God, what are you doing? And God, if we could do it another way, couldn't we do it that way? But what we remember in the table, one is that he loves us, two is that he enters in with us, and three, that he's sufficient for whatever life brings at us. And he's so resourceful that he'll use it all to shape it in us into the people of God he longs for us to become. We're gonna celebrate his table this morning. We're gonna celebrate his goodness and his grace. And as you start to put your stuff away and get ready and prepare your hearts, I just wanna invite you, as you come forward, we bring that question with us, many of us. God, I'm not sure what you're doing here. And God, I'm not sure I get it. And as you come, bring your questions. Bring your pain. Bring your God, I wish you would have done this. Bring it to the table. And as you take the bread and as you take the cup, you take God's definitive declaration. Regardless of what you're walking through, I'm walking with you and I'm forming you, and I'm shaping you, and I love you, and I have not let you go. When you come forward, you can take a piece of bread and you can take a cup um, and invite you as you feel led as a declaration, a reminder of your relationship with the Lord. Take the bread as you so feel led, but will you um, uh, save the cup so that we can take it together as a body, remembering that graciously God has invited us to walk through this life together. If you're a follower of Christ this morning, the table is open to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, a life of faith is open to you. He would say, receive it. Walk in his goodness and his grace. Trust that his sacrifice has paid it all on your behalf, that he died for your sins, that you're forgiven, and you long to live for him. At that point, the table is open to you as well. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, please don't come up. But if you are, come and celebrate well the God who says, even in the furnace of formation, I'm with you and I'm for you. Let's pray. Jesus, as we get ready to come to your table, would you remind us of of the gravity of what we do. Lord, would you help us to to not merely just think about, but to remember 
to step back into the night you were betrayed to remember the pain, to remember the hurt that you walked through on our behalf. So God, that the pain and the hurt that we're walking through now, that, that we often carry in life the questions of where are you and why didn't you show up? But not all those are solved by this table, Lord. But maybe even better than that, what's, what's answered in this table is your love, a reminder that you're present and that you're here and that you're for us. So God, help us remember the grace and mercy that is ours this morning well as we celebrate your table. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. There's two tables up front. There's some tables off to the side. Uh, Additionally, there's tables in our prayer room. If you'd feel more comfortable or like to do it that way, uh, we'd invite you. But as you feel led, come up and celebrate the goodness and grace of God. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant, which is made in my blood. covenant of grace, friends. The covenant where he declares, I have paid it all, every last drop of guilt and shame, and I wish I would have or could have. I have paid it all. The new covenant, which is made in his blood, and he invited us to do in remembrance of him. Jesus, we love you this morning. We stand under the waterfall of your grace and your mercy. And so we're reminded of the reality that even though life is uncomfortable, at times you're for us and you're forming us into your people. God, continue to make us and mold us more into the image of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, before you rush out, um, I'd like to do something a little different this morning. I'd like to invite our our, um, prayer team and elders to come forward now, um, if you would. And if you'd like somebody to pray with and for you, we would count that an absolute honor and joy. As we talk about walking through difficult things in life, we know that for many in this room, that isn't a theoretical, that's a reality. And so we'd love to be the body of Christ for one another today. If there's ways we can pray with and for you, like I said, we'd count it a joy and an honor. Please come forward um, after we dismiss here. Um, and, And if not, would you mind walking out in silence and then enjoying one another in the foyer? And we'll just leave this area for ministry. So if you'd like prayer, please come forward or stay in your seats. We'll come find you. If not, God bless you. We love you. And we will see you next Sunday. Go in peace. This audio is from South Fellowship Church. Feel free to make copies of this message, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about South Fellowship, please visit us at southfellowship.org.